Well, let us turn again to that portion of Scripture that we read together in Psalm 45. Psalm 45, and we take as our text the words of verse 2. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Psalm 45 here, as we did read, is a song of loves. It is a song of loves to the king. And when the psalmist here speaks of the king, he is speaking primarily of the Messiah. The Messiah that was promised, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a song of loves written to the Messiah. A song inspired of God by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, dear congregation, it communicates to us not only what the believer thinks of Christ, but what God thinks of Christ. This psalm is a worthy meditation of Jesus Christ. Before we come to the sacrament of the Lord, before Christ is set before us in that sacrament, we have worthy words here of him who is the truly blessed one. It speaks of his person and of his Godhead. It speaks of his power. It speaks of his majesty. It speaks of the eternal duration of his blood-bought church. Now, time and capacity only permits us to think upon a few thoughts in verse 2. But I would encourage you this evening and even in the morning to take up this psalm, to think upon it, to search Christ out in it. Therefore, seek that the capacity of your heart will enlarge with love to Christ as here demonstrated by the psalmist. Now, before we consider the lofty heights of our text, we should, by way of application and for the stirring up of our own affections, we should note the spiritual frame that we find the psalmist in. I know we normally have application throughout a sermon and sometimes at the end of the sermon, but sometimes it's good to have application at the start, especially when we're considering the spiritual frame of the one who has written these words. What can we learn of them? Well, we read of this spiritual frame in verse 1. And as we consider our text, let us ask ourselves, do we find this same joy? The psalmist writes, my heart is indicting a good matter. First of all, we note his heart is employed. The love of his heart is employed in this thing. So this good matter that he speaks about is the chief love, desire of his heart. And he speaks of his heart as indicting a good matter. That word indicting there conveys to us somewhat of a bubbling up, a hot springs as it were. Bubbling up. 
He cannot contain the love and the admiration that he has in his heart for his king, for the Messiah. And it is a good matter. What matter is it? Well, it's a matter of the Messiah. You see, for this psalmist, it wasn't just a true matter. The Messiah is true, yes, but it was a good matter. You see the importance of having the both. As we seek to set our affections upon Jesus Christ, it's not only a true matter, but it's also a good matter. It's good for the soul. He says, I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king. The things I have made teaches us there that this psalmist has had a pre-thought before he has written anything down. He has meditated upon this good matter. Christ has been his chief thought. He has been thinking upon this Messiah as he comes now to write of him. But look at what he says, which I have made touching the king. You see, he cannot fully comprehend the glory and majesty and beauty of this Messiah. He can only, as it were, touch the king. It's like the first chapter of Ezekiel where we read of the glory of God. It says, like unto the glory of God. Because Christ is so beautiful and so full of majesty and glory that he can only touch this thing as it were. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So do we find ourselves in the same spiritual frame here as this psalmist? The supreme object, this good matter, is Jesus Christ. Is our heart a hot spring of affection to Christ? Well, dear friends, may the Spirit of God grant to each of us fresh discoveries. That's what we're after this evening. Fresh discoveries of the excellent things of Jesus Christ. For he is most excellent above all. That we may have spiritual zeal. That we may haste as it were. To communicate with him afresh. As the elements are set before us in the morning. Our theme then for our time remaining with the Lord's help is the beauty of Christ. The beauty of Christ. And firstly, we notice Christ's beauty. Verse 2a, thou art fairer than the children of men. Andrew Bonner translates this literally. Thou art beautified with beauty among the sons of men. You see, it's doubled in the Hebrew. Thou art beautified with the beauty. It conveys to us that there is none like him. He is that beautiful in himself, in his person. Dear saints, in and of himself, Christ is beautiful. He relies on none other for his beauty. For he is God of very God. So in his person, he is beautiful. Zechariah preached. What did Zechariah say? Chapter 9, verse 17. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Speaking of the Lord. 
And when we read of that word great in comparative terms in the Old Testament, it's teaching us that there is none who can be compared unto God. How great is his goodness? There is none like him in goodness. Then he goes on to say, how great is his beauty? Christ is incomparable. The incomparableness of Christ in his beauty. Why would we not pursue him? There's nothing else worthy for us to pursue when Christ is set before us. He is adorned with an eternal beauty as the eternal Son of God. Now we are instructed in Psalm 84 and verse 11 that the Lord gives grace and glory. That's what he gives to his people. My dear saints, it is only by virtue of his excellent beauty that he does so. Listen to what one writer remarked. All this in full perfection is found in Messiah's person. All that is fitted to attract and fix the soul's gaze. All that is beautiful in excellence. All that is drawing in holiness and majestic worth. It's all found in this king that the psalmist writes about. It's all found in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. All is fitted to attract and fix the soul's gaze. Is that not what we're desiring in this communion season? That the soul's gaze would be fixed upon one so beautiful. That we would be enamored with him. That our affections, as it were, would be stirred up. Our hearts would reflect the heart of this psalmist. And it would overflow with love to the Lord Jesus Christ in full perfection. All of this is found in him. Now during our communion seasons, we often think upon the words of Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah the prophet in, verse, in chapter 52 and verse 14 we read, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You may say, well, how can he be beautiful? We read of him, we remember him in his death and in his sufferings. His visage was so marred, more than any man. How can he be then the fairest among men? Well, such words are true. His visage was Marred. Yet this is not in at variance with the psalmist. You see, dear friends, even in the ugliness of our Saviour's sufferings, we, by the Spirit's help, see the dignity of his person. We is not instructed the other evening, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there shall be the kingdom of God. You see, those who are poor in spirit, those who have faith, look beyond that marred visage and see the beauty of his person. The beauty of his person was in no way detracted from when his visage and his human nature was so marred more than any man. 
the dignity of his person. Two natures, one person, both now and forever. God a very God, man a very man. The one in whom all the glory of both heaven and earth are encapsulated. I was reading one Puritan writer and he remarked, In one Christ we may contemplate and we must confess both the beauty and loveliness of heaven and earth. The beauty of heaven is God. The beauty of earth is man. The beauty of heaven and earth together is this God-man, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thought for us. This is how beautiful Christ is in himself and on to his people. And he so humbles himself. We read from Psalm 100 and we sang, sorry, from Psalm 113. And we read in verse 6, who, or verse 5, who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Then verse 6, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. We may expect to read, he humbleth himself to behold the things in earth, but it says both heaven and earth. That's how glorious Christ is in his person. Even to behold the glories of heaven, glories of which we cannot even comprehend, he, in his glorious person, humbleth himself to behold the glory of heaven. Dear saints, as God, the whole earth is full of his glory. We sing of that often, don't we? As God, his inward perfections are harmonious one with another. They are infinite. They are not limited at all. As we have already said, all this in full perfection is found in Christ. He is most holy, most loving, most gracious, most merciful. He is most true. What do we read? For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Think of that word, fullness, in his person. Fullness, you can't get any more full. Infinite. Fullness of the Godhead bodily. Dear saints, we will find none comparable to Christ among men. Thou art fairer than the children of men. He is the fairest of ten thousand thousands. Dear saints, he is the incomparable love of our hearts. What ought we then to do? We ought to think on Christ. We ought to set our affections upon him afresh and seek to stir ourselves up. And then what we ought to do? Avail ourselves of the table that will be set before us. 
We pursue him as he is set before us in the elements. As we prepare ourselves, do we not make the words of Asaph our own words? We've sang them already this evening. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Is that not the motto of our hearts as we seek him? There is none like him. That is Christ's beauty. But secondly, we note Christ's grace to be. Christ's grace. We read, grace is poured into thy lips. Grace is poured into thy lips. After we have considered rightly the inward grace and perfections of Christ, the psalmist's thoughts of Christ now settle on his communicating of that grace as the God-man mediator to his church, to his people. Dear saints, it is a wonderful thought for us at this time, this fixed time, this season of communion with Christ. It is wonderful thought for us that Christ as the God-man mediator communicates to his church grace. And he does so by word and sacrament. Yes, sacrament is conve- uh, grace is conveyed in the sacrament. We do not deny that. It is not saving grace. It is not a saving ordinance. But in the sacrament we have conveyed renewing grace. Strengthening grace. You see as Christ comes to the table with his church. As he sits and communes with his people. He increases their graces with his grace. That's what he does. And increasing their graces, he's increasing their love for himself. In the excellency of his work, he by the means of grace and by his spirit advances, increases the graces of his people. Dear friends, it's quite simple. Those united to the head receive through him grace upon grace. What do we sing in Psalm 133 of Aaron? Like precious ointment on the head that down the beard did flow, even Aaron's beard and to the skirt did off his garments go. And that's how we ought to think of our communion with Christ. He is the one who is anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. And as it were, goes down his beard onto his garments. The head so anointed with this oil of gladness. The body receives this blessing too. You see... In his human nature, because he was man of very man, we must never, as it were, confuse 
the two natures of Christ. We must keep them distinct and yet at the same time keep them in the one person. But in his human nature we read that there is an immeasurable fullness of grace. We as mere men have a measure of grace. Christ in his human nature was without measure. John chapter 3. And we read there in verse 34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. Without measure. And then in our psalm, verse 7 of our psalm we read. Hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The grace that Christ has in his human nature cannot be measured. Dear saints, this was true for his work and ministry on earth. And yet it is in a sense a greater truth now in his session at the right hand of power. Acts 4.27 Whom thou hast anointed. Acts 10.38 Christ has been anointed as it were in a greater measure. We can't comprehend these things. We read for his earthly ministry he was without measure. And yet we know that he received the promise of the Father in heaven. Anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Anointed again. As he entered into heaven victorious. In his exalted state. Whom thou hast anointed. You see our text speaks of a pouring forth. Grace is poured into thy lips. Conveying to us the abundance of this pouring forth. Conveying to us of the continuance of this pouring forth. Hawker remarked. To be forever communicated to his redeemed. In an endless perpetuity of all suited blessings here. And glory hereafter. Poured forth an endless perpetuity. Dear congregation. Of all suited blessings here on this earth and glory after. What is, what is one of those suited blessings? It is the Lord's table. It is this ordained means of grace. We read, don't we, in the scriptures of how Christ broke the bread and gave thanks and blessed Dear congregation, I suggest to you that that blessing that Christ placed upon that bread is a perpetual blessing. And that same blessing of Christ in that upper room, we shall know as we come to the table of the Lord. For that blessing given by the risen, given by Christ now risen and exalted on high, remains. Remains upon all of his Ordinances poured out, poured into thy lips. 
Isn't it a great encouragement for us that we are guaranteed then that his grace is forever communicated to all his redeemed? It won't stop. The perpetuity of it is secured. It is secured by the blood of the new covenant. Wonderful thought. Our labor is not in vain. As we exercise faith in pursuing Christ, we can be sure of the blessing. And where is it poured into? Into thy lips upon his lips. What do we read of Christ in the Gospels? No man spake like this man. He spoke as one with authority. And yet his words were ever words of grace. Gracious words. Does he not save by his grace through his word of grace? Is that not how he saved you? Does he not keep by his grace through his word of grace? Does he not comfort by his grace through his word of grace? Does he not strengthen us by his grace through his word of grace? And remember, the sacrament is the visible word of God. It's the visible gospel. Does he not fellowship with us by his grace through his word of grace? You see the perpetuity of it? Grace is poured into thy lips. Dear saints, Christ will be set before us in the morning. Set before us by the word of his gospel and by the visible gospel of bread and wine. Therefore, as we partake, let us remember that he who is anointed with the oil of gladness above all his fellows has grace poured forth upon his lips. Why? So to communicate that grace to his church. That's what Christ will do. In an act of perpetuity, unending to all his redeemed, grace for grace. You see, dear friend, we must pursue him in gospel things. We cannot sit idly while others pursue him. We of ourselves, in the exercise of our own faith, must pursue him in gospel things. Spurgeon remarked, Grace of person and grace of speech reach their highest point in him. And who will we communicate with tomorrow? Christ himself, as he is spiritually present with his people at his own table. Grace of person, grace of speech, reach their highest in him. What ought we then to do? We ought then to feed on Christ. Avail ourselves, dear friends, of this sacrament of the Lord. So we have had Christ's beauty. Thou art fairer than the children of men. We have had Christ's grace. Grace poured into thy lips. But thirdly, we have Christ's blessedness. Therefore God hath blessed thee for ever. 
the blessedness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His beauty is incomparable. And his grace is unsurpassed. And so his blessedness is of God. Now we do not deny that as God, Christ knew perfect blessedness of himself. What a wonderful doctrine that is, the blessedness of God. God is satisfied in and of himself. Complete harmony in God. And Christ as God knew this. Perfect blessedness in and of himself. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He suffered the miseries of hell sufferings. And yet he ever was perfect blessedness in himself. You see, even as Christ was put to the extremity of the sufferings and misery of hell, he was never miserable in and of himself. For the joy that was set before him. You see, even when he's called a man of sorrows, he was one of true blessedness and one of joy. You see, with joyful obedience, he performed the will of the Father. Joyful obedience. In light of his cross work, we read, for the joy that was set before him. Christ in his blessedness, dear congregation, was always the possessor of true joy. Christ was never miserable. He might have suffered misery, but he was never miserable. The true blessedness of Jesus Christ. Yet the psalmist speaks here of a blessedness received. For we can translate this, Thou art fairer than the children of men, grace is poured into thy lips, because... God hath blessed thee forever. So the psalmist here is speaking of a blessedness that he received. That of course being the mediator, the God-man. One writer remarked, And God thus blessed him by becoming himself his blessedness. The reward of Christ. God himself becoming his blessedness. Now dear saints this is important for us to understand. Because of his blessedness do we receive. That's why we are called the blessed ones. To be spiritually blessed people is to be a happy people. To be a joyful people. To be a contented people. I believe last evening you received another beatitude. Blessed are ye when they persecute you. How is this so? How are we blessed 
when we're persecuted because of this blessedness that we receive from Christ. Christ, as the God-man mediator, receives his blessedness from God and we from him receive our blessedness. Christ knew the joy that was set before him and so for his people too. Therefore, he willingly accomplished the work. God would, through Christ and the Spirit, offer us continual fresh communications from the fullness of his blessed being. So not only do we have uh, perpetuity in grace being converted and communicated to all is redeemed, here we have by Christ and the Spirit continual fresh communications of the fullness of the blessed being of God. From where do we get our delight in Christ? Do you delight in Christ? Do you joy in Christ? Where do we get this delight from? What is the source of our joy, our true happiness, our true meaningfulness as Christians? What is the source? It is from Christ. He is the source. Christ himself, as he is blessed forevermore in God, so we are blessed evermore in him. Are you grasping that? That is what we're being told here in this text. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. And we can say, as he, as Christ, is blessed forevermore in God, so we are blessed evermore in Christ. Christ's blessedness. When we come to the table of the Lord, we are reminded that we come to a cup of blessing. He took his father's cup in order that we may take his cup of blessing. The Lord meets with his people in his communicative blessedness. Think of that. His communicative blessedness to strengthen them as the truly blessed ones in all spiritual blessings. Dear saints, this is how we bless God. The children, the younger children asked me not too long ago, how can we bless God if God is the blessed one? If he is the one who is truly blessed and doesn't need our blessing, surely he's God. How can we bless God? Well, this is how we bless God. We do so in Christ as partakers of his own blessedness. You see, as we partake of the blessedness of Christ, we bless God. As the blessed ones. How are your affections towards this Christ who is so blessed of God? Do you with the psalmist this evening say my heart 
is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the Christ. Touching the Lord. Incomparable in beauty. Unsurpassed grace. And that dear saints to bless his people still. It is a perpetual blessing. He who sits at the right hand of God is in our nature still. Therefore, he blesses us still as we find ourselves united to him. May we, with the same heart capacity as the psalmist, we ought to pray often. That the Lord would enlarge the capacity of our hearts. In our understanding of what God has done for us. In our understanding of who Christ is. And what he has done. That our capacity be enlarged. With affections to him. May we then have this same heart capacity. As the psalmist. As we come to remember the one who is himself the truly blessed one of God. And we in receiving him may know that blessing of the life of God in the soul of a man. What greater blessing, dear friend, is there than this? Than to know the life of God in the soul of a man. How do we know it? Through Christ. How are we blessed in it? Through Christ. What do we read in Psalm 144.15? Happy, blessed is that people whose God is the Lord. Is your God the Lord? Do you know somewhat of this enlargement of your heart in the pursuance of Jesus Christ? Have you ever before seen his beauty? Have you known his grace? Do you desire somewhat of this blessedness? What ought you then to do? You ought to believe with your heart. You ought to confess with your mouth. You ought to close in with the covenant. And close in with the Christ of the covenant. And come, taste, see that the Lord is good. A song of loves to King Messiah. Dear friend, make this your song. A song of love to Messiah, the King. May the Lord bless that word to each of our hearts. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, we come to thee knowing our own limitations. We know that in and of ourselves we have not the capacity to love God. In and of ourselves we have not the capacity to pursue God. In and of ourselves we have not that capacity to increase our love to God. We pray then, O God, that thou would grant to each one of us thy help and thine enablement. As grace is poured into his lips, may we know somewhat of that oil of gladness 
that Spirit of Christ. May we know somewhat of that flowing down the beard and onto the garments. O Lord, we pray that above all things Christ would be preeminent, that he would be preeminently set among us at this communion season. And as we see his beauty reflected in the elements, as we experience his grace by faith in the elements, we pray that we would confess truly we are the blessed people of the Lord. Forgive us our sins, we pray, for the Redeemer's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, dear congregation, let us conclude by the singing of that psalm. Psalm 45, another of the same second version. And we sing from verse 1 through to verse 3. Psalm 45, another of the same. My heart indicting is good matter in a song. I speak the things that I have made, which to the king belong. My tongue shall be as quick his honour to indict as in the pen of any scribe that useth fast to write. And let us set our hearts upon Christ as we sing, Thou art fairest of all men. Grace in thy lips doth flow, and therefore blessings evermore on thee doth God bestow. Psalm 45, singing from verse 1 to 3, to God's praise. My heart Stand to receive the benediction. (coughs) 
Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. 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 Number of intimations here.